Well, we come now to the time in our worship when we hear God's word as he speaks to us by his spirit. And uh, we uh, would encourage you uh, to open your copy of God's word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, in this letter, uh, God helps his suffering church to stand firm in the faith. Now, that theme is evident in our text this morning, but Paul makes it even more personal. Christians are not merely a part of a club or fans of the same hobby. That the depth of our commitment to the truths that are emphasized in Scripture, they must go to the heart. Now, far too often in church history and in our own lives, I think we can admit, we just go through the motions of our common traditions, but our hearts may not be in it. Now, Paul emphasizes the importance of not just believing true doctrine, but living with God-directed hearts. Now, this morning we will learn that God directs hearts, first of all, by his word, second, by his will, and third, to his worship. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, please follow along as I read. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that, may be and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come with thankful hearts that you have given us your word, that you don't just sit idly by waiting for this world to fall apart, but that you have interceded on behalf of sinners like us, even sending your one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your word in human flesh. Lord, we come wanting to know your word, not just to know the, page, the, the words and the pages of Scripture, but to know your word, our Lord Jesus Christ, in a deeper way. We pray that you would shine forth your glory through the pages of Scripture, through the preaching of your word, and that your spirit would mold and shape us more and more in Christ's image, we pray. Amen. Do you ever talk to yourself? I don't know why I'm asking, because I know that you do. Maybe not out loud, but I have found that to be pretty helpful, actually. When I'm in the car, I might actually talk to myself out loud. But the psalmist does talk to himself. He says in Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sometimes our minds need to give counsel to our hearts. We know what we believe about God, but our hearts might be pulled aside to the right or to the left. We go through this on a daily basis. We either walk in the flesh or we walk in the spirit. So how can we have God-directed hearts rather than hearts that are susceptible to every whim or impulse that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil? 
Well, first we need to know from Scripture that our hearts are the most, is it, that the, the, just the concept of the heart is the most comprehensive term in Scripture for the inner person, the control center of the human. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, for out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Scripture says our hearts can understand or be deceived, that our hearts can be soft or hard, that our hearts can remember or forget, that our hearts can be wise or foolish, and that our hearts can be broken, and thankfully, our hearts can be healed. Now, there is far too much involved in the exhaustive teaching of the heart in Scripture for us to spend time there, but we can just summarize it looking at Isaiah 29. Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And so hoping to move away from mere talk in our lives, we learn first of all that God directs our hearts by his word. Look again at verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. What you see here is that Paul is coming to the conclusion of his letter with the word finally, right? He already emphasized his purpose was to comfort the church and to try to reassure them by correcting the false teaching that was wreaking havoc in the church in their day. But moving forward, how can the church not merely honor God with their lips, but actually live daily lives that are having God-directed hearts? Now, Paul emphasizes two things in this text. First, prayer, but also partnership. God directs our hearts by his word first through prayer. Though people may look at the Apostle Paul as some kind of a super apostle, you know, a super Christian, he is repeatedly uh, reminding us in Scripture that he is a needy sinner just like the rest of us. Paul can't take on the world by himself, nor can you. And so we need to act. We need to ask God to be the one to act as we ask him in prayer to accomplish his will. And so Paul does that. He asks for prayer from the church he's writing to so that the word of God might speed ahead and be honored. Now, most likely, Paul has the image in his mind of the athletic contests that were going on in his day. The runner that sped ahead the fastest was the one who was honored with the victory. Now, what greater runner can we ever imagine except God's word running ahead, right? It says in Isaiah 55, my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed or gain the victory in the thing for which I sent it. Be confident, brothers and sisters, nothing can stop the word of God. And that is a glorious promise and truth that we can hold on to. But God still commands us to pray as part of getting that word spread throughout the nations so that it might be honored in one another's hearts. Right? We can share it, but unless we believe it, unless we 
honor God in our hearts, then it just falls on deaf ears. And so second, we see that it must be honored. God chose to engage our hearts in his mission as we ask him to help our hearts to honor his word and that all the people we share it with, right, our own families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, that their hearts would recognize their need for Jesus as well and be drawn to saving faith in Christ. And that can only happen as we pray for them, but also, Paul says, secondly, through partnership. So first through prayer, second through partnership. Paul asks the Thessalonians to pray not only uh, for his missionary efforts, but also for the sake of their own hearts. If we truly understand the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we all failed to live, that he died the death that our sins deserve, right, upon that cross, and that he rose again from the dead so that we might be set free by faith in him. If you truly believe that core of the gospel, then you want other people to hear and honor that word as well. And so Paul is inviting the Thessalonian church into a partnership with him and the rest of the believers in the world so that they might bring forth the gospel to the nations and to the people in their area. And so he affirmed them and he encouraged the brothers saying that the word has already sped forth and been honored among them, that they believe, see, it worked, right? There's people that do believe and we're seeing it multiplied as God expands his kingdom. Now, all believers kind of have the same testimony uh, of saving faith in Christ, right? Our stories affirm our faith of how we, uh, as the blind man said, I was blind and now I see. And so each one of us, even from a young age perhaps, or like me when I was 19, came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, not having grown up in the church, not really caring a whole lot about anything spiritual. And then the Lord brings me to himself. I was blind and now I see, and all, all I wanted to do was share it with other people. And so Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Only those with ears to hear will believe. God directs hearts by his word through prayer and partnership for protection. He says there, pray, and he gives the purpose clause, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So we see that God was very clear from the beginning that there will indeed be a war between the children of the woman, Eve, and the children of the serpent, Satan. Right, Our rebellious natures as sinners stand opposed to God naturally. That's just our natural uh, uh, inclination. Until the time that God raises our dead souls to life and gives us the faith and redirects our hearts to faith 
in Jesus Christ. But until that happens, we don't have faith and we demonstrate a wicked behavior as sinners because of an evil identity. We are not sinners because we sin. Scripture teaches that we sin because we are sinners. Everyone's hearts are led by something. No person ever functions independently. The evil has uh, the, the devil uh, the evil of the devil has deceived man to think that he can be God of his own life. There is no greater slavery than to actually believe that we are in control of our own lives. We have responsibility to do things according to God's word, but to assume we can control it all is one of the devil's greatest deceptions. We need to to uh, we need the Lord to be the one to send forth that word through us and to overcome the lies in our hearts that we may be set free from bondage to sin. Now, many times the Lord uses hardships in our lives to get our attention and to show our need for Jesus. We read in Psalm 107, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Think about the variety of times that you have experienced God redirecting your heart by his word and even bringing healing to your broken heart by his truth. Were you more open at that time to his word when you experienced that challenging or that comforting because you had prepared your own heart through prayer? Perhaps there are other times that you were at a, you know, listening to a sermon or you were at a Bible study and it just completely missed your heart altogether. Like, why did I even come, right? But God wants us to partner with each other in this ministry, right, by praying for the word to accomplish God's purposes. And so I want to ask you, do you regularly pray for the pastor or the Bible study leader who is trying to bring the word to your ears and to your heart? And I know that many of you do that, right? As a pastor, as I prepare sermons, I know the people of God are praying for us because I feel it sometimes as we're just preparing things. I'm like, yeah, I totally didn't think of that one, putting the pieces together and you're like, oh, that's a great connection. And you're like, yeah, that wasn't my brain. I wasn't coming up with that. The Lord just hands it to us in answer to the people's prayers saying, God, give him something good to say, right? You know, Lord, help us, you know, help him help us. Um, and we just partner together in that way. So as you pray for Pastor Matt to have rest and relaxation in his vacation time, um, you know, he's being renewed, right, to come back and to, again, bring God's word uh, to you in a faithful way. So we partner together in those ways, but sadly, Paul reminds us that there are some who still resist the word, right? So how are we to protect the ministry of the word. We want to recognize that the normal response, we should not be surprised that sinners resist God, right? That's just very, very natural. So we're not surprised by that, but we realize that only by grace do any of us receive that word 
with hearts that will believe. And so we need to be praying for ourselves, praying for each other, not only to have faith, but thankfully we learn next that God directs hearts also by his will. First of all, he directs hearts by his word, and second, God directs hearts by his will. Look again at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, in stark contrast to those who lack faith, Paul declares the faithfulness of our great God as the very foundation of our faith. We can trust God because he alone is always faithful. Paul highlights significant promises of God for establishing and encouraging believers. We first see that God directs hearts by his will through establishing our hearts, right? No sinner ever initiated a relationship with God. We are by nature spiritually dead, as Scripture says, in bondage to sin. We will never resurrect ourselves any more than we gave birth to ourselves. God must establish us in the faith by demonstrating His faithfulness to His covenant promises. He said He would do it, and then we see him do it in believers' lives. The reason the Old Covenant failed was that it depended upon the will of man. I mean, no matter how much God tried to help us by giving us very specific commands down to how to wash your hands, you know, in the Old Covenant, the Levitical law, right, no matter how many specific commands were given, it's just more commands for sinners to break, right? That's, that's all that it does. So we don't, we, we, we actually... In Scripture, we can see that we actually need new hearts, right? Not just more practical application for our daily lives, right? You couldn't get more practical than the Levitical law. So it's a new heart we need, right? Not more specific instruction. And so we have that wonderful promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. He says, and I gave you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We desperately need God to initiate. We need him to act and cause us to be spiritually reborn and to cause us to walk in his ways. But that doesn't give us an excuse to remain passive and to just wait for him to act, right? Because we see that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility work hand in hand according to Scripture. It's very clear in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice how Paul consistently combines his confidence in God and his encouragement to his fellow believers. When we see fruitfulness in our lives and in other people's lives, we need to celebrate the work of the Spirit. We need to give credit to whom credit is due. And in that, we can be encouraged. 
Now that is why Paul said in verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and that you will do the things we command. And so we see secondly that God directs our hearts uh, by his will, establishing them and also through encouragement. So establishing and then also encouragement. Such affirmation is God-centered. God gets the glory and believers get the encouragement. Now sadly, there are some Christians who have followed the tradition of never affirming one another. They claim that it's to try to help each other to not have big heads and to, you know, have pride. But do such statements of the Apostle Paul in Scripture actually encourage pride? And I would say certainly not. Rather, it celebrates the work of God in their hearts, which is demonstrated in their lives, because if we ignore that fruit, then we are the ones committing the greater sin because we're not giving credit and celebration to the work of the Spirit in each other's lives. And so if you perhaps came out of such an unaffirming uh, church tradition, I hope that you will ask God to reform your own heart according to his word uh, and catch people doing what's right. Catch them in the act of obedience. Give credit to God that he's working in them, but then encourage their hearts because, hey, I see God working in you. I see him changing you. We get encouraged and God gets the credit. Now, when we think about that kind of encouragement and, and how church cultures could be transformed if we were focused more on catching each other, uh, doing what's right, rather than nitpicking each other to death like chickens, such establishment and encouragement is what leads to true engagement in ministry. Now, when someone offers you encouragement, right, you are more likely to repeat that particular behavior, uh, not merely coast. We normally repeat the behaviors that get the most attention. And so if a child only gets attention when he or she disobeys, what do you think he's going to do to get more attention, right? He's going to keep disobeying. So it's how do we give a lot of great encouragement and attention, right? Not just in disobedience, but encouraging them in, in, in the regular instruction and care, uh, and then obviously correct the discipline when it's necessary, but not only then, right? We are children of God as well, called to demonstrate our faith through obedience. Now, should we be driven by mere duty, right? You know, do, do unto others as, you know, God wants you to uh, do unto others as God wants you to do. Wow, I just messed that one up. That's a really basic one that everybody should know, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's the more important one. But when we think about that particular demonstration, like why is obedience so important? I, I just, this is the most transforming thing for me when this really clicked was the fact that I understood that obedience is not just following, you know, our duty to God, but obedience is actually a demonstration of the character of God in our lives, and that brings him glory, right? That's why obedience is so important, not just because of his authority, 
but because his character is being displayed in the love and care and sacrifice that we are doing for one another. It honors his image that we bear. And so lastly, we learn that God directs our hearts to his worship, first by his word, second by his will, and thirdly, to his worship. May the Lord direct your hearts to, Paul says in verse 5, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There is the goal of the Christian life. We are not to busy ourselves in Christian work for the purpose of busyness, right? That we are called uh, by the Lord to the ministry of the word and to his spirit for the purpose of bringing him worship. He does all that he does to direct our hearts for that end. He wants us to know, first of all, his love, right? What greater destination could we be traveling on but to find rest in our heavenly Father's love? If you had nothing else in your life, right? If you were naked, rejected by every human being, suffering the worst pains possible, but you had the love of God, then you actually have everything you need. Now, that might be impossible to think about, but what is it that I just described, right? I described Jesus on the cross, right? Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved everyone he ever met perfectly. Jesus obeyed his heavenly father in everything he ever did perfectly. And yet we still rejected him. He was betrayed, rejected by men, unjustly condemned, falsely sentenced to crucifixion, hung naked on a cross, and then took upon himself the fullness of God's hate for your sin. He was forsaken by his own father so that you could be forgiven by faith. It says in John chapter 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now we could not know God's love any greater than by the glorious concept of adoption, right? Being adopted into the family of God by faith. And so our union with Christ, right, is, is how our adoption occurs. Our union with Christ by faith gives us all of the riches that Christ's obedience deserves. We, we learn from 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> God's plan for redemption is displayed as the greatest drama that the world and the universe has ever seen. And so we learn, secondly, not only about God's love, but about Christ's loyalty, right? Christ persevered in God's plan, though he would face hell itself. He was steadfast in his love for his bride, the church, right? There was nothing greater that Christ could do to demonstrate his love for you or his loyalty to his Father than what he did. The steadfast love of Christ is what we seek to imitate most because it displays and glorifies God most. Now, we can't redeem other sinners. We can't go that far, but we can share the love of Christ with them. 
And so I want to ask you, is that the God that you worship? Right? Is your heart directed on a daily basis by these truths to lead you to repent and believe again? Or have you found yourself merely jumping through hoops, trying to get God to give you what you really want in life? Sadly, we often take advantage of God's grace and we become entitled. We begin to demand more for ourselves rather than sharing what we've already been given with others. How does your prayer life demonstrate your view of the Lord? Is he a butler that you're hoping to give you your next desire? Or is he a savior you partner with seeking to advance his mission in the world? Every church is a combination of wheat and weeds. Every Christian heart wrestles between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. And so I'm just asking you this morning, what is the prevailing path that you are following? The Lord has directed you to hear this message this morning, and He's calling you back to Himself so that you would know the fullness of life. Right? The fullness of life that cannot be found in the lies of the world. Now, I am so grateful for the ways that God has been at work uh, in the lives of his people. And I talk to a variety of people uh, seeing how he has been working in their hearts and seeing change and transformation. And we want his word to be demonstrated in our lives, knowing that his word is the highest authority in our life. We don't want to just believe it in our heads. We want to live it each day of our lives, saying, yes, Lord, you are supreme in every aspect of my life, and I want my life to demonstrate a worship of the Lord that is noticeable by other people, and we can do that even as we encourage one another to that end. And so my confidence is hopefully found in the same place that your confidence is found, and that confidence is found in the same place Paul's confidence is found as we hear this glorious promise from Philippians 1. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we consider the fact that we know our need for you, that we know that we fall short and yet that's why you came. You're not surprised. You're not shocked. You know our sin inside and out better than we know it. And yet you love us. You love us enough to set us free from that bondage and from that foolishness. Lord, remind us that your love is greater than whatever is offered to us in the world so that we would find rest, so that we would find our deepest possible satisfaction in who you are and what you have done. And we pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.